Good Ready? morning. Hey. Hey, we got it. We got it now. All right, cool. Cool. I'll hit up the intro and we'll get it started. All right, everybody, it's time to get your head right, get your game right, get your mind right. I'm super excited to bring on a big league pitcher. Uh, the guy played for over 11 seasons. His name is Larry Sorensen. We're so happy to have you, Larry. Uh, you've been a guy who who didn't have all the talent in the world, but but had a really nice career. <laughs> Well, it's funny you say that. I was just looking at some cards the other day as I was writing out some mail, and one of my cards had all my pitches rated, and three were rated average, and one was below average. <laughs> and uh, somehow or another, it turned into 10 years in the major leagues. Yeah, really impressive, too. And you're, you're a right-handed pitcher, correct? Yes. Yeah, so it wasn't like you were, uh, you were a lefty, a specialist lefty who had a niche. You, you had to go out there and, and prove it every day uh, from the right side. And I think Especially in today's game, a lot of kids get caught up with, I need to throw really hard. I need to do these these things that the scouts want to be able to be successful. And uh, in your experience, it sounds like that wasn't always the case. Well, I think part of what we do these days is we train kids for the radar gun and we train them for the stopwatch. And, and how far can you hit a baseball? And we've lost some of the nuances of the game and some of the things that make you an effective player when you do it at the major league level. And those are the kind of guys that end up sticking around for a little while. The guys that can learn how to do the short things and the little things that happen so quickly, you don't really pay attention to them. It's not just a physical side of the game. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. That's the whole, the whole purpose of this program. And especially now, you know, we're dealing with a a whole different animal in the last few years, all the technology uh, that's been thrown into the game. Some of it may be good, but I think as a whole, you can't lose sight of the mindset of what it takes to be a really good baseball player, a really good pitcher, launch angle, things of that nature, you know, uh, exit velocity, all this stuff that, that is very popular in the game right now is, is not always going to be your answer to success. And a lot of times I think it's just very confusing. I me mean, as a hitter, if, if they tell me I need a, a certain launch angle, I mean, I'm not not a physicist you know I don't know physics I don't know geometry I know how to swing a bat and make contact with a baseball on a consistent basis let's work from there instead well I think that what we see and I'm actually involved with a project for pitchers that measures a lot of the spin rate and it measures the break force and it measures a number of the different things that go into making a baseball curve and turn and do Mm -hmm. all the wonderful things that it does but it's got to be a combination of the feel that you have for the game along with those dynamics and the measurements that we have are the measurements and the results. And certainly you can tweak and fine tune. And as you know, the game of baseball is all about adjustments. It's adjustments to what the pitcher is doing to you or what the hitter is doing to you and how their approach to things changes. And in order to get the training down properly, we can certainly use some of the analytics. A lot of it, though, and in my estimation, the majority of it comes down to the mental aspect of, uh, of being competitive, of being able to grind it out every single day, and of being able to retain or to achieve a certain level of mental awareness to keep yourself going every day. Yeah, and it's that consistency factor, right? That's what, in baseball, that's that's the tough thing. We all, everybody's had a good day. Anybody that's played ever that has any degree of talent, they've everybody's had a good day, either at the plate or on the pitching mound, and we've all had bad days. It's kind of, uh, what, what do you do on the bad days and what do you do on the good days, and how do you how do you stay consistent towards, more good days than bad days is really at the end of the day, all people are looking for. 
You know, with pitching, I always said, if you make 30 starts in a season, you're going to go out there 10 times and have stuff that's so good you should win. You're going to have 10 starts where you go out and your stuff is not that good and you don't know if you Hold on, Larry, you're cutting out. Are you there? Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, rewind. You just cut out for a half second. So go back to 10 starts where your stuff. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I got a phone call in there. I apologize. Okay. Yeah, no big deal. That's part of the beauty of this. This this is real life stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So 10 starts, 10 starts where you have your best stuff, 10 starts where you have no stuff. And then we'll go from there. Okay. Yeah, I've always believed that uh, when you're a pitcher, you've got 30 starts in a season, for example, and 10 of those starts, you've got stuff that you absolutely should win with. It's your best stuff, and you know that you should win that game. You've got 10 games where your stuff isn't that good, and you know it's going to be a struggle, but uh, your stuff really isn't up to par. And then there's the 10 games in the middle where you've just got to battle, and you've got to figure out a way, and you've got to keep going, and, and that's what makes it so important. So there's really only about one out of three times where you should expect to win with the stuff you've got that day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's no different on the hitting side of the uh, hitting side of the game either. You you have days where it doesn't matter what they throw you. You're going to make solid contact. What you hope when you're hitting is when you have days like that, your hits actually fall because you know, you're going to have bad days. So then, then what I always say, tell kids, you know, during your bad days, really all you're trying to do is put the ball in play a majority of the time and scratch out a couple of hits there. And then when you feel good, that's when you drive the ball and do things. So well, I, as, I, I see as it every, on both sides. As every pitcher knows also, though, that uh, the amount of pop-ups and little ground balls that drop in and find their way through for hits far outweigh the number of line drives that get caught. Yes. yes. <laughs> every pitcher knows that. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you can have your best, best stuff. And you see it happen to guys. They have their best stuff. A guy gets a broken bat hit. A little bleeder, a guy makes an error. Next thing you know, he's in a, in a jam. One pitch, he messes up one pitch, and there's three runs on the board. You know, and that, that's the day he's got his stuff. Maybe they lose the game three to one. And he, he had his stuff that day. Right. It just was the circumstances got him. But then other days, your stuff's not as good, and guys just miss some pitches. And that's the beauty of baseball is it's unpredictable. It's always, it's always going to be that way. As much as we try to – uh, put a, put a, a formula on it. There's too many factors that come into play as far as what's going to make him successful, what's not on a particular day. We're we're just striving for that consistency to go out and compete on a daily basis, regardless of how you feel that day. Well, and I kind of took that approach into my pitching because, as we talked about earlier, you know, I did not have overpowering stuff, and I always felt because I was a sinker ball pitcher that the days I felt great and the days I felt really strong, I tended to overthrow and everything straightened out for me a little bit and I wasn't as effective. The Mm -hmm. days where I walked in from the bullpen and I walked into the dugout and the guys were looking at me ready to go and I'd say, hold on a minute, I got to go in the bathroom and try to find my slider somewhere. (laughs) Those were the days when I had a little bit of success because, you know, I turned back to the mental side of the game and competing, making good pitches at the right times. You can throw the greatest fastball in the world and you throw it 95 miles an hour. And if it goes to the backstop, it does you no good. But if you can throw 
eight, 90 miles an hour and pinpoint it low and away when there are men on second, third base and one out, then you've got a chance to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Look at Greg Maddox, guys like that. You know, they just, they, they could go in, dial it in, made the pitches when they needed to make them. All the best pitchers I ever played behind had, had the confidence, even when they didn't have their best stuff, when there's runners on base, they could still throw a good pitch if they needed one. And maybe it's the three, two curveball, you know, uh, whatever it is, they had that confidence. And even if they messed that pitch up and it was ball four or whatever, they had the confidence to try it, which to me, you know, because that's the pitch, you mess that pitch up. Everybody's like, why didn't you just throw the fastball? <laughs> you know, and it kind of, it's, it can be a little mind numbing as a pitcher to think, I know, say your slider's working that day and that three, two count, really, you should throw the slider, you know, because that's your pitch that day. But the world's telling you, throw the fastball, throw a first strike. yeah I'm a big believer in having conviction in anything you do and if you've got the confidence and if you've got the conviction in the pitch you know having a conviction in your second best pitch is better than not being sure when you're throwing your first best pitch you talked about Greg Maddox and he was so far ahead of the game one of my favorite stories Uh, I was broadcasting for ESPN back uh, shortly after I retired and the Braves were playing and Leo Mazzoni was uh, the pitching coach for the Braves he went out to the mound at one point. Maddox was in just a little bit of trouble. He went out to the mound, and he, he talked to him for a minute, and he just started shaking his head and laughing and came back to the dugout. And I happened to see him after the game out, uh, out on the streets a little bit. And I said, what were you laughing about? And he said, I went out there, and he, first he asked me what I was doing. And I said, I'm just giving you a break. And he said, Leo, he said, look, on a 2-2 pitch, he's going to pop the ball up on a changeup halfway down the third baseline just in foul territory. Well, he missed the spot by about a yard because the ball was just inside foul territory (laughs) instead of outside foul territory. (laughs) But that's how much he knew what he was going to do, how far he thought ahead, and the conviction that he had of what he was doing. Yeah. And then, and he found repeatable patterns too, you know, with guys and, and pitches he would throw. He could manipulate the baseball enough and do what he wanted with the baseball to have those kind of patterns where I think most, most people now, they just want their slider to just be so devastating and nasty that it's unhittable. In reality, though, if you throw it in the perfect spot, it may be unhittable, but eventually you mess those up too, right? Well, I recently broadcast the Winston-Salem Dash games, which is the high team, high A team for the Chicago White Sox in Winston-Salem. And, and there were kids that they would come in, and if they were convinced that if they weren't throwing 93 – they couldn't be successful. And you'd hear him say, well, I got beat at 91 and uh, because I've got to throw 93. And I said, you know, I never threw 91 a day in my life. And, and so I'm not quite sure how that rationale follows, that you can't be successful doing it a different way. And, you know, they just – everything becomes me- mechanicals, mechanical for them and everything becomes by the book, and they've lost that free-thinking uh, part, part of their game. I played with a guy named Sal Bando came over from Oakland after being the captain on their World Series teams. And I used to think that experience was just another word for old age (laughs) until I played with Sal and realized that by cheating a half a step because you knew how a pitcher's fastball was going to react on a certain hitter, you made yourself a much better player. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I think, like, I love the fact that you brought up, uh, it's kind of the creativity part of the game, the thinking outside the box, uh, especially on the pitching side. Because, you know, the cat and mouse game, that's been around for over a hundred years between pitchers and hitters continues today, uh, regardless of guys, if they throw hard or not, I think, like you said, the creativity 
that that you can use on the mound to benefit you has kind of it's starting to waver a little bit to where you need to throw a cutter this way you need to you know your fastball needs to be here uh do you think there's going to be a point uh where the creativity comes back into the game a little bit because i see i see you know you hear about the stories of used to not be the bullpen situation. It used to be the starter goes out there and throws eight innings or nine. And yeah, you had to be pretty creative to get through nine innings facing those same hitters over and over. Yeah, you know, they talk about not being able to go through the lineup three times these days, and it does kind of make me laugh. And I, I think a part of that is exactly what you said. They just get used to, okay, first pitch I'm throwing a fastball. If it's a strike, I'll throw a breaking ball. If it's a ball, I'm going to throw another fastball. And they get into that habit. I played with Jim Cott in uh, St. Louis. And at that point in time, I think he had about 24 years worth of major league experience. And I remember him coming over and watching us playing catch. And uh, there was a little left-hander named Dave LaPointe that came over from Milwaukee in the trade with me. And he said, how do you throw your changeup? Show me how you throw your changeup. And this is a guy with 24 years of major league experience, still trying to learn a little something, still trying to find an edge. Yeah, that's – and I love, I love it when guys are willing to learn from other guys, even when – you know, the most experienced guy on the team is still picking picking a guy's brain who's less experienced in years. But like you said, it's always trying to find that edge, trying to find that little something. And a lot of times, I always called them, it's just the Band-Aid for the day. Sometimes my swing would feel so awful. What I would always do is try to find a little something to make it uh, usable that day. Whether it's move my hand a little bit, do something small and then repeatable in my brain. And I built this slump buster toolkit that I think is a pretty powerful <laughs> resource for, for kids or anybody who's struggling, right? It's your brain is such a powerful entity and to not tap into it in a creative, in the right way, in a focused way, I think you're just doing yourself no justice. You're never going to reach the full potential of, of the talent that you do have. Well, I think it. I think it's crucial to build in that little toolkit, like you were saying. And you know, as a pitcher, I have my own little keys. I knew that uh, sometimes I had a tendency to tilt my head a little bit, which got me leaning towards home plate too quickly. And I had to remind myself, head over my knee or hat mm-hmm. over my knee. And I had to keep my head in a balanced position over my knee. And I knew that was one of the big keys. The problem is, you get that adrenaline going in a game situation, and your body just wants to take over. And, and do all those things that get you out of whack. So, you know, you I, I, was a, I was a big <laughs> believer in, in the back of the mound. Go to the back. If I threw two balls in a row, I went to the back of the mound and regrouped and said, head over knee, tuck your shoulder, you know, all the uh-huh. different little mental keys that I elbow up, all the little things I knew I was doing wrong that I had to get back into. And the, the cool thing, I, I, I was the exact same way. So what I would do, what I, what I figured out is, the simpler I could make them to get the result I wanted, the, the better off I was. Like you said, tuck your shoulder. It's just one conscious thought. It's not like you're thinking, okay, I need to grip the ball this way. I need my shoulder to be at this angle. When I come through, I need my arm slot to be above my – no, no. All you were telling yourself was head over your knee and tuck your shoulder, and that's going to keep you in line so you're not missing high on arm side. You know, So you're staying closed and delivering the baseball and getting out in front and finishing. Man, and I, I had a pitching I love coach that. one – I had a pitching coach one time. I was going to face the uh, Boston Red Sox in Oakland. And the pitching coach said, Larry, and this is 15 minutes before a game. And he said, Larry, it looks to me like your arm's about a half inch or so too low. 
Well, the inning and a third that I lasted, all I thought about was where's my elbow. You That's know? brutal. I, I that forgot all brutal. the other stuff. Forgot yeah. all the other stuff and just thought about that. So, and this is what, what, what we're trying to develop too, and we talk about it a lot, is called the independent ball player. Because we both know, no matter how long you play the game, you're going to have some different coaches. You don't get to choose your coaches. The, every, I think that every coach has, to a degree, has some knowledge they can bring to your game. Uh, what a kid's got to do or, and a parents have to do is analyze that information and make it relevant for their game. It's hard because a lot of coaches, maybe they don't, their style of coaching, you just don't understand it. The hardest thing in coaching is getting the kids to understand what you're talking about because everyone's a little different. So being that independent ball player would say, uh, lower my arm an inch, you'd say, okay, coach, sounds great. Let me do my thing. You know, Don't say that to him, but that's in your head. Be respectful. Thank you so much for the advice. Knowing in your head, I'm probably not going to use that today. That would have been beneficial for you at that time. <laughs> no, no question about no question about that. You know, and, and different coaches say it different ways. My first uh, pitching coach in the major leagues was a guy by the name of Calvin Coolidge, Julius Caesar, Tuscahoma McClish. <laughs> and he was he was a Native American. He was from Oklahoma. And he wouldn't say poo if he had a mouth full of it. You know, he was just a real quiet guy. But when he spoke, when he spoke, he had, he, you know, it was authoritative and, and it was good stuff. My manager was a guy named George Bamberger, who had coached the 420 game winners that one season in Baltimore. Great pitching coach. But he was from Staten Island, New York, and he couldn't go three words without a curse word. Yep. And he used them a lot. You know, so complete opposite personalities, complete opposite way of expressing things. And somehow or another, it came together in the middle in my head, and it made sense from both of them. You know, and that's, that's part of separating yourself. Being able to learn from different people, and I, I express, you have to learn how to learn. I don't know how many times, you know, a guy will come in, a pitching coach or somebody, and maybe he says, you know, this is, this is what we need to do today. What we're going to do is this is how you hold a slider. 90% of the guys in the room already mentally shut down because in their head they say, I know how to, I know how to hold a slider. Like it's not, that's not relevant for me. I already know that, right? Well, so, and if, you, if uh, you've got a pitching staff of 13 guys, you might have 13 different grips on a slider. You know, you've got to find what works for you. Yep. Try everything. Find what you're most successful with that works for you and then keep refining it, but don't be afraid to keep trying either. Tweaking, have fun with it. And when you're playing catch, that's, that's one of the, the going back to the creative uh, stance that we were talking about. Baseball is a fun game. There's a lot of different things. You can make those little adjustments. I'm a big believer in never adjusting too much before you're having massive failure. You know, I, I hate seeing when a kid goes to a new program or something. And the first thing they do is they're tweaking him. They're tweaking him. They're tweaking him. Mechanics, mechanic, you know, there's a point where there's a reason that the kid's there, you know, he he's proven to a point they can play. I hate it when you see that kid come in and the first thing they do is you need to widen your stance and open it and put your hands over here, yeah. drop your elbow down. And it's like, how about we go play a little bit? Then when he fails uh, uh, enough, then let's maybe make a few tweaks. And guys are always much more receptive to advice at that point too, when they've had a little bit of failure. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> are you there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So as far as and I, let's go back to this one one last time because I think it's super strong and it's powerful, especially for young kids in this generation. The the 
not overthrowing. You said some of your best days were the days that your arm's a little tired, you don't feel as good, and, and we go into the examples of, you know, I've, I played some of my best baseball games when I was just sick, like felt <laughs> like I was on my deathbed. I'd have, I had some great games. I wasn't thinking about anything. I was just trying to get through the day. And my body, I was just letting it react. It was simple. I'm relaxing the box because all I'm thinking about is not throwing up or, or pooping on myself, right? So that, <laughs> that's such a great point that when you're overthrowing, especially for a sinker ball guy, the ball's flattening out. It's, it's not doing what you need it to do to be successful. What would you tell a kid? when they see the radar gun and the scouts are in the stands, they think that tomorrow is their chance to get to the big leagues when in reality, it's a long ways away probably. And all he can think about is I need to throw this ball harder. What do you tell that kid when he's on the mound? What should be in his brain? You've, you've got to back off, understand your tool set, you know, understand the skills that you have and what makes you good. When I got in trouble, instead of trying to throw harder, I tried to throw softer whether it was a change up or whether it was backing off on a fastball a little bit so that it would sink more because I felt like every single pitch, if I was in trouble, I could get two outs with one pitch by getting somebody to hit it on the ground. And so I always had to tell myself to back off. Now, if you throw 98 miles per hour, your mindset's a little bit different than that. And, and I understand that and you have to adjust, but at that point in time, you've got to say, okay, if I'm a little bit wild, I've got to focus in a little bit more on my control. I can't just try to throw it as hard as I can without being conscious of where it's going. And so understand your strengths, understand your weaknesses, refine both of them, you know, work on your weaknesses as much as you work on your strengths. Yeah, I love that. I always got in so much trouble when I thought I was a power hitter. I always would get in trouble. And as you go up in levels, they, uh, being an outfielder, we were just coming off uh, the, 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 the time when guys were hitting 50, 50 yeah. plus outfielders, right? So we were just kind of at the tail end and leaving that going more into the game where guys okay good seasons 20 home runs again a lot of the guys still had the focus of you're an outfielder potentially in pro ball you need to hit bombs that's part of your job description right it's really really hard not to not to feed into that and buy into that and i understand i always knew in myself though when when i started seeing cues like i would pop out to the left fielder um front sides flying open it's because i'm letting that get to me i'm trying to trying to drop and drive as opposed to just being a good, good hitter and a good baseball player. That's what got me to the big leagues, not dropping and driving, just being a good solid baseball player. I didn't hit a lot of home runs in the minor leagues even. And I still found a way to play on one of the best teams in the big leagues uh, for the short time that I was there. And it's exciting to think that you baseball is still a game where you don't have to be this animal, this beast of a person who's, who has all the tools and can do all this stuff. Cause you still see the small guy still plays Jose Altuve's, you know, Dustin Pedroia. These guys are still doing it. Pitchers, Tim, Tim Linscomb, you know, he's a smaller guy through hard, but overall they would say, you know, he's short, he's this, he's that. Don't let the critics fool you and trick you into thinking you're not as good as you are. You know, Jose Altuve fighting it out for the MVP next to Aaron Judge is just the greatest uh, description <laughs> of baseball I think you can find. I think it's good for the game. I think it's good for society. I think it's good for everybody. You always try to exceed your capacities. You know, you always try to exceed more than your talent level is or whatever. You never stop striving for that. But you have to understand what you can and can't do as well. Definitely. 
Larry, it's great to have you on the show. Tell the people what you're doing now, because they might want to hit up a, a few games that you're he's, uh, <laughs> broadcasting. Well, I stayed in broadcasting. I went through some tough times in life. I started out working for ESPN uh, right, after, right after I retired from baseball to the College World Series. Uh, did some Wichita State games, as a matter of fact, Andy, uh-huh. and uh, somewhere along the line, and had a great time doing that. Was doing two nights a week for Major League Baseball as well. And then I was the Detroit Tigers radio announcer for four and a half years. Um, got myself into some trouble with alcohol, have a problem with alcoholism, and uh, something that I work on every single day. Now I broadcast for Wake Forest University. I broadcast their baseball games on the ACC network on television. And uh, for football, I'm the color commentator on the Wake Forest IMG Sports Network. So I stay in broadcasting that way. Awesome. Awesome. We wish you nothing but the best, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Your knowledge is incredible. Uh, uh, If anybody is ever thinking about, you know, they can or can't make it, just listen to these podcasts. These are real guys. These are real people uh, with real world issues and real world successes and real world failures that have been through it where you want to go, where you want to get a guy like this has been there and done that. So his knowledge that he's bringing to you came from years and years of experience. I hope you enjoyed the show as always get your game, right? Get your head, right? That's what we're here for. Comment. If you have any questions, comment them, tweet them, share this. All right. Love you guys. Thank you. Bye later, Larry. All right. Uh, at Larry Sorensen anytime. So give me at Larry Sorensen. So hit him up on social media. Hit me up, too. All right. Thanks, Larry. Have a great day. A pleasure, Andy. Yep. Bye.